So why not sell to them? Yeah. Um, that's a funny thing. I will never sell to them one. Um, so put it in your podcast. Mm. <laughs> I have taken a strong position on this. Um, yeah. I became an optometrist because my dad was an optometrist. And my dad was an independent optometrist able to you know, build relationship, relationships with his patients. And that's what mattered. I make a good living. I can pay my bills. I got, you know, the things I want to have. Uh, my daughter, my daughter's a first year um, optometry school student. Um, you know, she's she's going to be an optometrist. That's, you know, nothing more rewarding as a, as a parent, um, you know, seeing that happen. Um, yeah, it's a money, it's a money thing, right? I mean, it's, and frankly, I'm not, I'm not motivated by money. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Ryan Powell. He has become a friend, a colleague, and a mentor to me over the years. Um, we had a great conversation about his, uh, really, his idea behind distribution centers within each individual practice so that you can fulfill things that your patients need in, in your practice, but also have the opportunity to not let those things kind of bog down on your shelf. So it was a, we had a lot more conversation that goes into private equity, goes into building a practice, growing a practice. Please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. Young and emerging presbyopes can be tricky. These patients want and need additional help at near, but they can be resistant to solutions that create even mild distance blur. The MyDay multifocal lens has been great for our presbyopic patients. It allows those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. We've had this lens now for long enough that we've been able to see how simple transitions can be from an adaptation standpoint from lower ad designs to higher ad designs. The MyDay multifocal material is CooperVision's softest one-day hydrogel lens and features Aquaform technology combining the unique balance of high oxygen permeability with natural wettability in one material. The result is a highly breathable lens that keeps our patient's eyes looking clear, white, and healthy. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your CooperVision representative to get started. One of the challenging things with patients is that when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and customized lenses, occasionally it can be difficult to keep those lenses clean, scratch-free, and smudge-free. Now, we have the ability with Crizol Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients a best-in-class anti-reflective coating that is also resistant to scratches, smudges, and deposits. This means that patients spend more time enjoying clear and comfortable vision and less time caring for their lenses. So remember that you can provide patients with the best in quality, best in class, transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizol coating. If you want to learn more about Crizol Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com backslash Crizol. You know, Ryan, we, so you're in, you're in Idaho right now? Boise, Idaho, about? Uh, which I've never been to before. It's a beautiful place. Um, I do a couple of CE talks related to nutritional supplements and eye care. 
So uh, carotenoids and importance of DHA and EPA, you know, fish oil, omega-3s. Um, we go through the, uh, the flies study. So vitreous health, um, the little fly study that John Nolan did. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I've got it. So I, I, this is what I want to know. So this is the, I, I'm. This is just kind of a peek behind the curtain because, you know, um, you, what's your why behind speaking? Because because I would I would guess that from a financial standpoint you don't need to do it. You know, you've got how many practices 12. now? It's a break. It's a it's a okay. break. It's so, a break. Um, the Twelve practices. <laughs> Yeah. No, no. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the, so no, yeah, go ahead. No, Give me your why. I mean, it, it's keep great. going. I don't remember kind of where I got started doing speaking things, but, um, I enjoy the, the mixing it up, you know, it's kind of a, it's another little thing we in optometry can do. Um, I would have no reason to be in Boise, Idaho, um, probably without doing this. So that part, you know, is pretty awesome. Um, I also think it forces me to kind of stay on top of things, you know, I'm going to get up in front of a room. Um, you know, I better be doing my homework and know what the heck I'm talking about. So, you know, there's a little bit of maybe holding myself accountable. Uh, you know, that's my why, I guess. No, I think it's, uh, you know, so, so that's exactly my thing, right? Like, uh, I don't have, I don't have the number of practices you have, but, um, you know, when you look at, well, do I have to do this or do I have to do that? Um, it really comes down to fun. Like, like it, it gives me, it gives my brain a different way, uh, like a different reason to, or a different thing to focus on. And like you said, it, it, uh, it's a break. And, and the reality is, is like, sometimes I need a break from speaking or a break from podcasting or a break from consulting. And that's my practice. So I, I think what you're doing, uh, so I think what you do, uh, and that brings us to the next thing that you have, which is kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about with you here. But I think that's, that is the beauty of the profession is, um, is we can have all these other different sort of avenues to, to keep our brains working and also to generate some, some revenue. But it's also the detriment when I, I think people don't realize that and you see people just get burned out um, in practice. Yeah. So I think it's a guard against burning out in practice as well. And, you know, for me, I think it pushes the comfort zone a little bit too. You know, I've, I've, I have no problem getting up in front of a group and speaking, but, you know, you go to a, this is the Idaho Optometric Association. So, you know, you got a room of a hundred and some people there and, you know, I think it's good for us. Push the comfort zone a little bit, you know, make sure you're, make yeah. sure you're, uh, you know, not always just cruising to the office on cruise control and going home. And so it's good. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So, um, you know, as, as always, you know, I'll do an introduction, uh, afterwards. Um, but I'd like to talk to you about your practices. So you're kind of in the same boat as I was in, uh, well, when I first got out of school, and I think you were as well, you, you came into practice with your dad, correct? So that was the original plan. Um, I actually, yeah. So my okay. dad is an optometrist. Um, when I was doing my internship rotation at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. Um, the attending optometrist 
worked in a private pediatric ophthalmology practice. And so Tim Hug was his name, but Tim Hug offered me a job to come work in there outside the hospital practice after I got out of school. And so I called my dad and, hey, dad, I got this job offer, which is kind of interesting because I was planning on coming back. My wife and I are both from our hometown, Maryville. Um, and my dad said, that's a great idea. You know, I, I think you should really, <laughs> you should really give that some consideration. So, no, so I started out pediatric ophthalmology practice a, a year into ah. it. Um, my dad didn't go into his practice on Thursdays. So Thursday, the lights were on, employees were there, but dad took the day off. So we lived in Kansas city. It's about a hundred miles from where my dad's practice is. Um, and so I started going up. I said, dad, how about if I come to your practice that one day a week when you're not going to be there? So I started doing that one day a week, um, on his day that he was off. And then very shortly. And, and again, I thought at the time that would be kind of the segue into moving back to Maryville. Um, a few months into it, I realized, you know what, I think I'm going to open my own private practice on the other four days in Kansas city and come to his practice one day a week still. So that's how it. So you opened a cold practice in Kansas city, a single location, cold practice, uh, on four days a week. How long ago was 2004. that? 2004. Okay. And you were, you, so you graduated 2003? Uh, I graduated May of 2002. Um, in, or, okay. yeah, right in there. May of, May, it's literally May 1st of 2020. May 1st of 2003 was the first Thursday I went to my dad's office. So a year, a year of working at, a year oh, of being wow. at the pediatric ophthalmology practice. And then, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do private practice. So it was literally May 1st of 03. And then April of 04 opened my own in a strip mall, just like we all do. Um, pay way too much for a you know sign that lights up at night. Um, you know, and, and start with. <laughs> Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I, so we're going to have to get a new sign as well. Uh, I, I'm moving our location and, um, and I, I think the same thing. I'm like, it, I don't need any lights in this sign. It's amazing. It's amazing. Nobody comes to us because they saw us along the road. You know, they just don't anymore. Yeah. Did, so do you light your no, signs? No. Still? So I, that from that, from that you location, don't. I built my own building. So moved out of the strip mall, built our own building. And nope, they're just metal letters flush on the on the facade. Um, yeah, and the same thing. I'm like, I, nobody's, you know, we're not trying to sell pizza here. Um, you know, we don't need the nighttime right. traffic identifying us. Interesting. It is amazing how much interesting um, some level of visibility is important, though. So our new location, because I debated when I moved out of that strip mall and built a building there were two lots, one that was right up on the main thoroughfare and our, and the lot we're in, which is kind of just a step back from it. But where we are up on the main thoroughfare, they ended up putting in a Starbucks and there's a very busy gas station on another corner there. And the visibility where we are, everybody can see us. Um, we don't need a lighted sign because everybody's driving around there during the day, you know, finds us. Yeah. 
But so then, so what's interesting is you went into practice with a pediatric ophthalmologist and then uh, something about your dad's practice, the time you spent there for that year made you decide, or maybe it wasn't even a year, but when, by the time you built your own practice, made you decide you wanted private practice. What was that? Yeah, so so we were at the county fair. You love this. this is, we're in Maryville, Missouri. It's a town of 10,000 people with a college. My dad at Northwest, Northwest Missouri, State, Missouri University. State University. Fantastic college. Um, my dad had practiced solo practice for 30 years. So 1972, he graduated. Um, we're at the county fair. Some friend comes up to us and, and we're standing side by side. And they said to my dad, Jeff, how's it going practicing with Ryan? You know, and my dad said, oh, it's fantastic. I love it. But my foropter, and he puts his arm up in the air and he kind of reaches to his right. My foropter has always been right here. And now it's over here. Like, you know, and I remember looking at him and going, <laughs> Oh my gosh, you literally have set your ink pen in the same spot for 30 years and you know where it is. So, um, but so he and I had a lot of discussions about it and, um, the, uh, the beauty of it was he and I had a great arrangement on the Thursday that I was there. It was great. The financial aspect worked well. He took care of us so that we could open the practice the other four days. Um, you know, he made sure that all worked out well. Um, and he, you know, had a lot of advice for kind of getting my place started, and um, and I still I still went up there, so I was still involved heavily with his practice, and so until he was ready to retire, um, I was I was involved. So I bought his practice well down the line ten years later. How many practices did you acquire or start after between when you started your practice and then purchased his? So good question. Um, so we've started, I've, I've started, I've lost track. I don't, now um, I've started two practices cold. Um, one of those um, I would say if I went, it was in 2009, the first one. Um, if I went back, I, I'd say even to this day, maybe debatable whether I would do that one again, Primar primarily mm. because the challenge was having doc, you know, having a good doctor there engaged. Um, and frankly, in the last two years, we've gotten that. So that the doctor that's there now is fantastic. Um, and, and it's all going well, but the other one that we opened cold was in 2018 in a community where the doctor that works there lives there. Um, and that's been great. So the others, and Frank, most of the others that I purchased, um, well, the, the first one that I purchased from a doctor, that doctor called me and said, would you like to purchase my practice? Um, and many of them have been um, doctors that I knew from being involved in the state association, Missouri Optometric Association guys. I was the president of our association in 2010. These were retiring mode, you know, former presidents of our state association. Um, so we kind of knew where we all were in terms of, or I guess a good way to put it, they kind of knew what they were getting in me as far as my commitment to our profession, um, which was a difference maker for a lot of them. So yeah. uh, all of them except those two were purchases from retiring mode docs. And um, so then what do you view as the distinguisher between your practice being a private practice and then 
you know, how do you keep a, uh, a practice that has 12 locations with associate doctors feeling like a private practice? What's yeah, the yeah. magic relationships? You know, I think it's as simple as that word. And I, you know, my dad's practice, <clears throat> when I went and kind of decided I wanted to be an optometrist, going in the exam room with him and seeing him and interact with his patients. And, you know, those patients were there because of the relationship they'd built with him over all those years. Um, and so that's what, that's what we do, you know, <clears throat> and, and as a business owner with associate doctors, it's my relationship with the doctors. Um, they know, they know that I want them to be great optometrists. They know that I want them to build relationships with their patients. Um, you know, we're all, we're all focused on the same thing that eye doctors did in 1990. Um, you know, it's a little more complicated today, but you know, hang, hang your thing. Totally. Hang your, totally. Your, your diploma on the wall, put them in your mouth and, you know, go do eye exams. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tad, <laughs> it's a tad more complicated, but, but at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's just a bigger structure of relationships. It's my relationship with my employees. Um, and then our, our, all of our employees, we, we try to empower them to be good, you know, good relationship builders. I think another interesting aspect, we were, we were talking about this yesterday um, with some folks, corporate entity folks that sometimes focus on corporate things a little much. Um, and I was explaining mm -hmm. to them that we actually have a budget with each of our locations um, strictly focused on community involvement, um, donating to charity organizations in their community. Um, because I, that these, these practices that sell the private equity and, you know, get bought out and all this stuff, um, that stuff goes away. You know, the school band, school marching band, yeah. right? Oh yeah. School marching band needs 50 bucks, you know? Yep. So we, we budget all our offices to do all those things, just like they're the local private practice. Um, so that's the long answer. You know, no, I, no, it's not a long answer. I, I think that's really important. And, and actually, you kind of brought up another, you know, I did a, a podcast this week uh, or this past week um, on a study that looked at what happens to ophthalmology clinics when, basically from a financial standpoint, when they're purchased by private equity. And ultimately, the outcome was that um, services that optometrists could perform was filtered down to the optometrist and they were using um, higher, co more costly things, right? So that was an interesting one, but you brought up private equity again because, you know, um, you're, you're a few years young, older than me. I mean, you're, you're not a ton older than me, but you're a few years older than me. And so in your mind, there's got to be sort of this like the potential where you could just sell, you've got a, a huge practice, a, a number of practices that I'm sure private equity has been salivating over to be able to get into the market in Kansas city. So why not sell to them? Yeah. Um, that's a funny thing. I will never sell to them one. Um, so put it in your podcast. Mm. Um, I have taken a strong position on this. Um, yeah. I became an optometrist because my dad was an optometrist and my dad was an independent optometrist able to, you know, build relationships, relationships with his patients. And that's what mattered. I make a good living. I can pay my bills. I got, you know, the things I want to have. Uh, my daughter, my daughter's a first year um, optometry school student. Um, you know, 
she's she's oh, going to cool. be an optometrist. That's you know nothing more rewarding as a as a parent. Um, you know, seeing that happen. Um, yeah, it's a money it's a money thing, right? I mean, it's and frankly, I'm not I'm not motivated by money. Money does not motivate me uh, in life yeah. at all. Um, it's it's and the luxury, obviously, of not having to worry about it, but it uh, it is definitely not a motivator. And I I could not look my team, my employees, uh, my doctors in the face and tell them that I was doing that to them. You know, I so I had the the pleasure of spending some time um, a day with your with your staff uh, and your doctors. Uh, maybe six months ago now, seven months ago now, and I, I, I'm grateful that for that opportunity. And um, I, I think it's was a couple things that were clear to me. I mean, the first one was that what you just said is absolutely true. You know, your wife and you were kind of sitting in the in in that same room with all of your team members, uh, quietly letting them run the show, which I thought was really um, really uh, showed your leadership in a way that most most of us um, don't really think about a lot is that, you know, I don't have to be the front guy all the time. You know, I, I can let other people, uh, be motivators and be, um, and I can, I can look at other people and what they do well and let them do that well. And I think you do that amazingly. And the other thing I noticed was that, you know, you, you said it, you're, each one of those practices had a little different feel. You know, I would I would be engaging with different ones of different ones of those practices, and you could feel the difference in the way those practices are. And I think that's the key. Like, you know, if 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 you were private equity, if it was Ryan Powell private equity, that's not how it would feel. They would all feel the same. They would all have their corporate mantra. You, they would have been shouting, you know, whatever the thing is that they shout at the beginning of the meeting, right? Whatever it is. Uh, which is which is endearing if it's a, one or two practices, practice locations. But if it starts to get too big, it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, and you can feel it. People don't really see. They don't really feel that way. But they're going to do it because they have to. And so I, I think you said that. The other thing, thing that I think was really interesting is when I met with your doctors, um, your, they were engaged as if they were owners. They, they were engaged as if they were owners. And um, – Again, I think that's something that would not happen if they were uh, part of private equity. I think you could say all you want to about, like you said, you know, people um, if they just really want to do a good job and they and they want to come into work, but you know, it becomes much more transactional when you know you're working for a big entity as opposed to like, hey, I I know Dr. Powell, I know his wife, I know his kids, I know what they they want to do for the community, and I see what they're doing for the community. Um, I, I see them hold their, their hands. I didn't see this, but I, I'm assuming I, I know what kind of guy you are. You know, your patient uh, in the exam room is, is having a, a rough time with something going on in their life and they break down and you're getting choked up about it, right? Your team sees that and and that's real. That's human. Uh, and that's something that, that uh, private equity can't offer. Right, right. Um, one point that you touched on there that I think is great too. I thought when I started having multiple practices, I'm going to make these all the exact same. Like that was kind of what my, what mm. I thought, you know, Oh, we need to all do this this way. And I learned that's not the way to do it. Like that. If you do that, you lose all those things you were just talking about. Um, I thought that was the way to make it work well economically. And that's why private equity does it that way. Well, it turns out 
you want it to work well economically, these are independent optometry practices, really, really in that same model that, you know, my dad's practice, Leslie Whitman, who's the optometrist there full time now, she lives in Maryville with her husband, Zach, and their two kids. Um, Katie, who's our manager there, has been there all through since my dad was there. Um, you know, our patients see that practice just like it always was with my dad. Um, they they run the office. We provide them with the tools. Um, we have doctor meetings where we try to elevate everybody and, you know, build everybody up. Um, yeah, you've got to, those relationship things are just the key to success. Even, and I think that gets lost sometimes. You start getting more urban um, practices and you kind of go, ah, we're just, you know, our practices in Kansas City. Ah, these practices aren't, that's for the rural folks. Um, no, your urban practices, because those, those patients are going back to work, you know, they're sitting next to their friends at work. That's how you build your practice. They're sending the folks to you. Um, and you got a reputation, you know, I mean, we, we want to have a reputation. It's interesting when you say like sitting around that doctor table with our team, um, we, we have had a few doctors come and go, um, as we've grown and, you know, maybe weren't the best fit and they always seem to kind of figure that out and they don't stay with us, uh, two or three over the, over the years, um, because the ones that were sitting around that table leaning in, it's their practice. And they know from me, I want it to be their practice. Yes, they don't own it and they don't have the equity piece, but it's their practice. We give them directives, you know, I mean, we, we recommend, you know, hey, if you're choosing between these like products, here's the one we want you to use. You know, we have optical programs that we roll out across the board. Um, but our goal is to give them the tools to make it easy for them, practice optometry, do right. it at the highest level. Um, yeah. So they're, I, I've had doctors, literally non-equity owning doctors, that when they've had a staff shortage in their little practice, they're answering the phone, making appointments, learning how to file vision vision plan claims. You know, I mean, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, holy cow, yeah. I can't believe you did that. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I think it's important. I think, and that's a testament to the way you've built it. And and also, my suspicion is that while they don't have an equity piece, they they can sort of earn like they have an equity piece, right? Like like they have other incentives, you know, to to have sort of quote unquote ownership of those practices without you know actual equity in the practice. And um, so yeah, I think that's interesting. That really kind of brings me to the next the next uh, topic and the original topic that I asked you to come in and talk about, which is kind of your online presence. Um, and, and how other doctors can kind of tap into that online presence. So what I like about what you're doing is, and is that, I mean, it kind of reflects exactly what we were just talking about is you can have your, you don't, you can plug in to systems that work well, that still feel like your practice. And that's kind of what you're trying to do, uh, with, with, with your online store. So kind of tell me the, the, um, emphasis for that and then to start it with your practices and then also where you saw the opportunity to to engage other practices outside of yours yeah i think it all kind of stands on that foundation of i'm all for independent optometrists being successful um and so what i looked you know it and frankly it all started because of something that annoyed me about my own practices um 
And that, and that was my patients. I was making recommendations to my patients for products, non-prescription, you know, eye drops, supplements, whatever it might be, sprays, whatever, right? Eyelid cleaners, all the things, masks. Um, so I would make a recommendation to my patient. And then my patient would say, okay, where do I get that? I'd say, well, right, we have, we have some of these items. So here's the ones we have. Um, or you can go to the big box retailer down the street and get it. Um, you can go online and try to find it. I don't really have a great answer for you. Most of the time I was sending them. To, yeah. Good, good luck. luck. Go on a scavenger hunt. Yeah. Let me write down the name of it. And if you've ever looked at the shelf at, you know, a, a corner pharmacy, oh, I don't know nightmare. how they find anything. Um, so it started with me kind of going, all right, how do we, how do we, fix that for our own patients. Um, I would also have products that I would, I'd go to a exhibit hall, CE, I would learn about something, I'd bring it back to the practice, I'd order a case of it, I'd have it there, and then I'd use some of them, and then bada boom, bada bing, I'd look in the cabinet, and I'm like, I got a whole bunch of expired products sitting here. So so expired yeah. product was, a, was an issue we would run into. Um, and then kind of lastly was patients in my office, they purchased the product from me, but how do they repurchase from me? Um, and one of my buddies, I think one of the, probably the week I actually started this, one of my buddy's wives, um, he texted me and said, hey, Kelly needs to get some more of those eye drops you got her when she was in your office three months ago. Where does she get them? I said, well, she has to drive to my office, right? <laughs> or find or find them somewhere. Right. So really those three kind of obstacles that were just annoying things for me. And frankly, the original, so the, the e-commerce platform is called the eye But what I did initially is I created an e-commerce platform and I thought, I'll just make this for my own patients. Just so my patients can get the stuff that I'm recommending to them. Um, and it was kind of this janky looking site, but it, it, it did the job, but it was, eh, you know, this isn't real good. And I, so I realized, all right, if you want to make it, I mean, <laughs> if I was my patient, would I get on there and order something? Uh, I don't know. I'm not completely sold on that. So I realized I need to put a little money into that, make it look professional, make it look good. And then I started thinking, man, there's a bunch of products. Um, I always think of like Lumify is a good example. There's a lot of products that I would recommend to my patient, hey, I use Visine. Okay, well, here's a better option for you. But we weren't carrying them in our practice and weren't, you know, trying to actively move them. But I knew if I told my Lumify patient, go to Costco and get your Lumify, that they were going to become a targeted eye care customer of Costco or Walmart. Yeah. Now buy your contact lenses there. Now buy your glasses there. Now do everything. So the initial thing I realized was, well, you know, I got a buddy that carries Lumify in his practice. Why don't we just have him supply the Lumify? Hey, here, I want you to, I recommend Lumify. Here, you can order it online. Here's where to get it. And I give him a site. And then my buddy's practice takes care of supplying the Lumify. So the, so the model mm -hmm. we have now is, um, and if you look on the eyedoctorshop.com, there's a list of, what are called member doctors. 
And so those doctors, um, they have the option if they want to, to use products that they carry in their practice to fulfill orders that come into the eye doctor shop. Super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Super so it interesting. gives them, it gives them a second Avenue. So, of so then, yeah. And when they fulfill that, then who, who captures the, so if it's my patient that goes in and fulfills it on my eye doctor, on the eye doctor shop, uh, and your office fulfills that with your stock, do you get the revenue? Do I get the revenue? Yeah, how so does that work? How it works? So, um, someone places an order with the eye doctor shop, we pop it up and let's say it's, um, you know, some supplement, um, that we, and, and let's say it's your patient. They get on there, they order this up. Yep. Let's say okay, it's Lumify, Lumify. just say to make Lumify. it easy. And it's your patient. Yep. You told them to get Lumify. Um, they get on there, they order Lumify and we have some practice wherever, pull it off their shelf and send it to them. Um, the eye doctor shop buys that Lumify from that practice. So I'm buying okay. it from, it wasn't your practice. It wasn't my practice. I'm buying it from that practice that carries the inventory of Lumify that your patient ordered. Um, yep. And so, it, so the practice that carries the Lumify now can sell product to two different avenues. They can sell it in their practice to their existing patient that's there that day. Um, or they can sell it to Chris Wolf's patient who bought it from Omaha. Um, we, we set pricing on here's how much we pay you when you sell one to the eye doctor shop. So it's not the same. They don't, mm -hmm. the margin is yep. a bit different, not the exact same margin they get when they sell it in practice. Sure. There's shipping and handling and there's, you know, there's expenses. Um, but then the other piece that we do is, halfway through the year we run the revenues we take out the expenses we get the net revenue from the entire business and 50 percent of that is split amongst the member doctors so any sales that have come through all go to the top line take out the expenses um and we pay for the um so twice a year they'll get a check um for you know 50 percent of the sales um I would say at this point that number is so we charge we charge a $350 annual fee to the member doctors. Um, I view that as a marketing that should come out of their marketing budget. So we link we link our site with their office and their office website. Um, we do a we do a monthly newsletter where we newsletter blast out to all the email folks that have signed up. Um, which is growing and growing. Um, and so, yeah. and, and so essentially the 350 bucks, I think last year, the total that got paid back out was 742 bucks or something like that. So covered the 350. Okay. A little bit extra. That's fine. So being a member doctor was free and yeah, maybe it got a little more. Um, and, and some of the doctors do no fulfillment at all say, put my, put me on there. I just want to be on there. Yeah. Um, some of the practices have added products to their practice that they were nervous about carrying because they really liked the product. They wanted to recommend it to their patients. Um, they knew that handing a bottle to the patient in the practice 
was the best way to ensure compliance with the product. Um, the patient was going to get it, um, but they were nervous about kind of the same issues I had, uh, expired product, and uh, am I gonna move enough of them? Um, and so we've, we've definitely, there are a number of practices that are member doctors that have gotten on board um, and said, well, this has been fantastic because now I don't have any, no more issue of, am I going to move these products? Um, you know? Yeah. So what happens if I want to sell Lumify to my patients and, and also fulfill and another doctor wants to, do you kind of have a lock on the stuff that you want to fulfill or could it, can it come in and I can just be like, my guys, there, just triggering it <laughs> off. Like, yep, we're fulfilling this. We're fulfilling that. Yeah, we're fulfilling yeah. This. So that's great. I'm going to get this in front of the right. next guy. Um, so the way we, the way we do that yeah. right now is when someone becomes a member doctor, we say, tell us what products you want to do fulfillment for. And they give us their products. Um, then we send them the shipping packaging to use. Um, and then what happens is we just go through a rotation. So we get three orders of Lumify. We just go through the first one gets this one, second one gets this one, third one gets this one. All right. And if we, if we only have three or four that carry that product, mm. we just go through them, go through them, go through, you know, you just rotate through the, we do a little bit of geography distribution with a couple of products. Um, this office is in the South and they carry a certain product and this one's in the north and we'll we'll try to do that just to help with shipping and handling has gotten a little crazy um so that's a yeah that's yeah. a big challenge but um most of our sales and i think my my big dream here would be we start connecting consumers to the doctor's practices so and the reason right. i consider it this marketing um, your patients are going to, you'll get some purchases through the site from your own patients. Um, we don't have very much, you know, I'd say we have a small number of my patients that are actively reordering things from the eye doctor shop. Yeah, they, they do a few of them. Um, but it's more expensive. I mean, they pay shipping when they order through the site. Yeah. The cost of the product is more when they purchase it at the site less expensive when they purchase it in my office. Um, so most of them want to purchase in our practice because um, it's, it's less expensive and, you know, frankly, frankly, the cost is much better, which I tell them up front. I'm like, you can reorder here. So when I have a patient in my office, I say, hey, when you need more of this, here, there's two options. Swing back by, we'll get you some more. Or here's the online option. We give our doctors a discount code. So you would, you know, Powell 10, for example, um, I would write down discount code Powell 10. So one of my patients can put in a 10% discount code. Um, so it helps them a little bit, but they're still paying more. And frankly, we want to push the price online. We want the doctors carrying the products in their practice, moving them in their practice, um, even with the eye doctor shop. We, we know that if you put it in their hand in your office, and just a little tidbit on this, I think this is something that I was never that good at for a long time, but kind of have learned. You know, we literally put the product on the dispensing table in the optical, and when I do my handoff with my optician, you know, 
oh, they need a progressive. And we talked about blue light protection, you know, all the, all the things we've learned how to do with handoffs. And then we kind of always just ignored that, oh, we're doing these other things. But now we say, you know, and, and we talked about starting this carotenoid supplement or, you know, the, we talked about them needing to get a good triglyceride fish oil and, and here it is. And here's the pamphlet. Um, but we want, that's what we want our doctors, you know, we want doctors to be able to do that. Um, and then this really, the, the majority of sales are, you know, someone out in the middle of wherever that you and I have never heard of, um, you know, ordering product from our independent optometry practices. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to bill with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be billed together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. My patients with macular degeneration want clear and succinct recommendations from me related to products and solutions that can benefit their long-term ocular health and vision. To do this for my patients, I need to be confident that what I'm recommending will have a benefit to them. And that's why my supplement of choice is MacuHealth. MacuHealth is specifically formulated and clinically proven to rebuild and maximize macular pigment over a lifetime. This results in enhanced visual performance and aids in the treatment and prevention of age-related macular degeneration. I've discussed carotenoid absorption on this podcast with Dr. Nolans and Stringham, and MacuHealth uses a patented process called micromycel technology. And this technology is clinically proven to increase carotenoid concentrations at the target tissue and deliver the highest level of bioavailability studied to date. MacuHealth has been great for my patients. We really feel like we have the ability to help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. If you're not utilizing MacuHealth for your patients, Check it out for yourself by contacting your MacuHealth representative. A couple of things with that. The first, the first point that I wanted to hit on was, I think it's super key. Like for me, what what I'll say is, you know, Mrs. It's always when I give these when when people hear me talk, I'm always talking to Mrs. Smith. But uh, you know, Mrs. Smith. Um, uh, we talked about some of the microorganisms along your eyelids and lashes and the way we battle this is X, Y, and Z. Um, Sarah is going to show you peak, which is what we use to, ha- to help battle that. You can find it here or you can find it online or we do the same thing. Lumify. You can find it here or you can find it online. Then I'll say we price it what Amazon prices it here, right? So I usually because we've done that. We've done the research internally to know that we're going to be 
uh, as, uh, at or below the price of Amazon. Uh, and I think that it sends a couple messages. So that's the first thing is that handoff is key. And then also it's, um, there's this little, there's this slight little bit of, cause I, I really honestly, Ryan, I don't care if those patients buy them from me or if they buy them from Amazon. What I care about is that they get the right stuff and they know exactly what they're supposed to have. Cause the cause yeah, is it a, actually in a, in a practice, the size of our practice, it's not an insignificant amount of like money in my pocket at the end of the year. It is, it is good. I mean, it's money. It's good money. But, um, but like, the most important thing is that the patient gets it. And so I want to try to take them off of this. Like when I say you can buy it here, you can buy it online. My thought in doing that is to say like, I, I like, yes, I get something if you, if you buy this here, but I'm really agnostic. I'm truly agnostic to that. Um, so that makes me feel better. At least you could tell me if I'm making a mistake there that I want to get your reaction on that. And the second piece I want to get, uh, that I really, um, think is, interesting is um is that amazon three years ago four years ago was less expensive than physical purchasing but i read an article yet yesterday or the day before it is not less expensive anymore in fact they've driven the cost up of so many items and people have just absorbed it they don't even think twice anymore because they think it's more convenient etc etc so this idea that you have of saying look we are less expensive in, in person than if you have to ship things uh, and you don't have to be apologetic for it. And you don't have, and people sort of have already wrapped their hands around that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like your perspective. Yeah, that's on both it's, of um, we want our patient to get the right product. So I think, I think two things. One, we want you to get what we're recommending. And we really like, I view it when I'm working with a patient, I'm educating them. I, they get to choose what they do with the, you know, they're paying me to tell them what I know. And so I'm telling them what I know. And then they get to choose, right? Do I do that? Do I do something else? Do I take the fish oil you're talking about? Or do I go get whatever other fish oil I want? Um, I don't care. I want them to know the information and make the best choice, right? Um, the financial side is not insignificant. Right. Um we're not built. We're not building right. our practices on selling these things, um, but um, we do want to move the products that we're, you know, we write pretty good size checks to purchase the products that we have in the practice. So we definitely want to be making sure they're not sitting around doing nothing. Um, I, I think I. It's interesting with with our patients. Um, you know, I think they've gotten to know when, when they see me as a, as a patient, I'm just going to, I'm an open book. I'm just going to tell you all these things. I'm also going to not shy away from making a product recommendation because I know what I know. I know about this product and let me tell you why that's the one I'm recommending to you. Here's what's in this one. That's, that's maybe not in others. Um, and the one I'm recommending might be really pricey. Um, but here's why it's pricey compared to something else you might go find. Um, so uh, I think giving them that information and then most of them kind of look at you like, where do I get, the, you know, can you write, you'll hear this, right? You'll hear this. Yes. Can you write that down for me? Yeah. Write it down. Oh, I'll just get it from you. You have oh, it. I'll just a, get it for you. So like, Thanks. Oh, they could sit back, sigh of relief. I know it <laughs> right? is a relief. And I just say, yes, we can get it for you yes. today. 
Yeah. You know, oh, thank goodness. I thought you were sending me on a scavenger hunt to go try to find. I, this is great. Now, how in the world am I going to figure this out? Um, so that that piece of it for us, I think uh, we've learned to do that. And it's interesting in my practice, I have a lot of different doctors. Some of them are not very good at discussing things like this, and some are great at it. Um, it's a, a bit of a psychological, you know, I think probably for me as I've gotten older and I realize some of the, the value more of some of these products that we recommend with our patients with aging eyes, um, you know, maybe I'm talking about it more than some of my younger doctors might, um, maybe. Um, yeah. So, so I think from the, from the financial side, I think that, um, I have practices that make good money on product sales, but it's really more of my patients are just glad that we have a good spot to get it from. I also think sometimes doc, we always, I remember kind of critiquing my dad at one time. Why'd you tell that guy that he needed to get a straight top bifocal instead of a progressive? Well, that guy works down at this place. And, you know, I kind of knew his budget a little bit. We, for years, have always sort of learned. Well, we've learned, right? And this kind of came with Daly's contact lenses, too, I think. I never would talk to patients about Daly's contact lenses. They don't want to pay that much. They don't want to spend the money on Daly's. Let's put them in the monthly. Um, I got myself out of the way in those conversations now because of talking to smart people like you and others that are like, you know, dry eye treatments, right? Blepharitis, using the peak for, for blepharitis treatments. You know, why would you, why would you get in the way of them having the opportunity to treat their I eye know. problem, right? So and I think that happens sometimes with these products and we get a little like, I don't, you know, I don't want to sell them something. Um, yeah, I get that. I want to educate them. I want to give them the tools to make a good decision. And then I want to make it easier for them to say yes or or make the purchase. And I just want to eliminate the barriers. So um, in-office is great in terms of that. I think um, certainly having different avenues of moving the product helps them. Um, and then I forgot your second question you were asking me there. I think I went off on a tangent. Oh no, it was it was more just a it was no no it's it's good. I think I, it was just more of a of an observation that you know we think that online Ooh. is going to be less expensive, but uh, it's not less expensive and um, in in the, in the majority yeah. of cases, shipping shipping and handling is expensive these days for one. Um, but yeah, I've been known in the exam room to Google things with the patient and just say, well, let's just look this up. Right. Um, I do that a lot with fish oil to yep. see what fish oil they're using. And is it the triglyceride form of a fish oil or not? Um, but just to look up a price. Hey, here's the price online. You know, here's the price in our here's the price here. And I do the exact same thing you do. I don't care where you get it. I want you to know what to get, because I know if you if you walk into Walgreens or some other CVS or, you know, the grocery stores around us, and you stand in front of a shelf of these products, I don't know how you figure out what the heck to get. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. I have a picture actually of. Well, the way the way you figure it out is you see compare to this and then you look at price. 
That's the way they figure it out. It's the only, yeah, the majority that's the of only time. differentiator. It's interesting in my, um, in my CE educational talk that I, that I give, um, you know, I think back to when I first talked to my patients about fish oil. And back when I first was telling them about fish oil, I knew it was good for reducing inflammation and that would help your dry eyes. And initially I would say to a patient, you should take fish oil. It will help your dry eyes. And my patient, my patient would say, what, right? They'd say, what <laughs> fish oil? I'd go, ah, I don't really know. And then yeah. they would say, how much fish oil, right? It was like those two questions. How many milligrams per day? And I, it was kind of like, ah, you know, a thousand, you know, should be fine. You know, it was kind of a, you know, this was 10 years ago or so, right? Um, fortunately, we've learned a whole lot since then in terms of, uh, you know, making with these things, we can make good recommendations um, on the, on the eye doctor shop. You know, it's, these are doctor recommended items. These are all items that yep. independent optometrists have in their practices. Um, I think a big differentiator these, so there's other, there's other avenues of um, having an online option for your existing patients. And the differentiator I think that we have is we can take care of your existing patients, but we are also appealing to, you know, here in Boise, Idaho today, there's someone online looking up macular degeneration supplements or dry eye supplements. Um, and again, I really, our newsletter, we're trying to do this with it. Um, those people need help. You know, if they're not getting, they're trying to find yeah. that online. Um, some eye doctor somewhere has failed them in giving them the education about what they could do. Right. It's, it's super interesting that, you know, when, when, um, one of the things you've, you've seen me do is, uh, what I, what I term total patient care and building a pillar in your practice. And one of the things that we do at the very beginning is set up intake forms and we talk about communication. And um, and ultimately, both of those things are essentially there to remove barriers. The first barrier is the doctor. Uh, it's so weird. Like the first barrier to care, I think, is the doctor not recognizing the problem, not knowing how to communicate the problem, maybe not even not recognizing it. That's not accurate. It's not not being able to uh, see that this problem is um, is worth the time to take some really deep dives into and have like long or or not even long but but important communication uh, techniques with the patient about, and so they wind up not not blowing it off right. They'll document it. They'll talk to the patient about it briefly, but they don't then. Um, remove the barrier in the patient's mind to seek the the care or to seek the follow up or to execute on the recommendation that the doctor's making, and so what I, one of the things I've learned so so much over the last year and a half of doing of doing these types of of programs is that like one you have to remove barriers for the doctor the barriers of thinking this isn't going to be worth my time uh, I it's I, the patient won't pay for it as you said. 
um, and the uncertainty of feeling like, oh, I'm a salesman, right? You got to remove those barriers. And then how do you get those doctors to communicate and staff to communicate in an effective way that will remove the barriers in the patient mind? Well, what would those barriers be? Well, they might be something like, um, I'm speaking too much to your cognitive brain. Uh, I need to speak more to your emotional brain. How do I, how do I actually compel you because you're the hero, you're on the journey. I'm not the hero as the doctor. I'm your guide, right? So like, so really being intentional about how we're communicating with people, um, I think is, is very fascinating to me. And, and ultimately the goal there is to remove the barriers, right? Remove the barriers of, of like, the apprehension from the doctors and then also like um, compelling the patient to do what is in their best interest. Right. And, and, and maybe even just making the decisions that are in their best interest, not, not by like artificially swaying them with weird tactics. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, you know, communicating effectively to them so that they understand the, the importance of what you're doing and why you're doing it is a huge like it's a huge aspect of of practice that uh, I think we just never most of us never really focus on consciously, and I love that you have uh, focused on it yeah, consciously. Yeah. It's interesting with um, what we do with nutraceutical supplements. You know, um, I was at a CE listening to a PhD talk about the benefits, and at the table I was sitting at was myself and three other optometrists. We were all for taking these things ourselves none of us with you know severe eye problems none of us you know with any medical reason that we needed them all four of us were taking these supplements because we had attended enough optometry educational events to understand what they were and what and all the benefits and i remember you know after i left that education went back uh went back to my practice and thought I've got to do a better job. Somehow I've got to take what this, what I've learned in hours of CE and I've got to get that down to a simplified way for me to explain this to my patient in a shortened, you know, after we've done talking about their multifocal contacts. Now I need, I'm going to explain to you why this will help you and what it is. And all I want to do with my patients is start to arm them with some of the education that I have, you know, that I've gotten um, so again, like you said, they can make the decision. Um, you know, my relationship with my patients is built on trust. I don't mind. This is also, I think I always use this sort of analogy. You know, you're not asking the girl to prom or the guy to prom when you were in high school. And when they say <laughs> no, it's total rejection, right? No, it's totally fine if I have a patient and I educate them. And they, okay, great. Thank you for the information. I want to go do some research on this, right? That's great. Or thank you for the information. Yes. Yes. Thank you for the information. I'm not ready. You know, I I don't know. Right. Great. That's totally fine. We take that way too hard. I I don't know if if all physicians do it this way, but but it will crush it will crush an optometrist when you have a new product or a new solution for a patient and you and you go out on the limb, you really believe in it, and then the patient right, doesn't do right, it. Right. And it's like, oh. And then what, the widget or the product just goes and sits in the corner forever because we're, our feelings are so hurt. I will never so talk about this. Because yeah, they I didn't execute. I will never execute. talk about this again. It did not yes. work. Yeah. I put so much <laughs> effort. I put so oh, much yeah. Effort. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, 
I think I've kind of learned with patients, even, you know, asking them with some of these things, tell me what it is, like, tell me what you're thinking about this, right? And so some of these treatments, um, let me tell you about it. And then I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's why I, I don't, think I want to go that way. Yeah, the, the budget is an issue. Okay, but that's great. Um, you know, whatever the other reasons might be. Um, I think I learned that I learned that approach with people asking for their PD to go purchase their glasses somewhere yeah. else. <clears throat> and yeah, tell me what you say there. I just say, where are you? Where do you plan to go get your glasses? So, right, because I used to just say, Oh, geez, always, I can't believe, it. you know, give them their PD, you know, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to see yeah. that. Again, right? No. So I just say, where do you plan to go get your glasses? <clears throat> and then, you know, if they mention Zenny, for example, I say, okay, well, those are what we would refer to as disposable glasses. Don't let them talk you into over, don't let them mm. talk you into overpaying. You know, if you're going to get a $30 pair of Zenny glasses, <clears throat> I get it. You wear contacts most of the time. You want a bright orange frame to wear with your orange dress you don't necessarily need to get a pair in my optical for 30. You're not going to get a pair for 30 bucks. Right. So, so right. I understand right. that. Um, if they say uh, this literally happened, I'm getting them at Warby Parker. And I said to this young lady, why are you getting them at Warby Parker? And she said, well, Warby Parker, you know, when you purchase a pair there, they donate a pair to someone who needs them. And I said, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which we've all right. Because Warby Parker is a marketing company. They're a marketing yep. company. And they knew yep. the hook is in the mouth of the millennial if you tell them you're donating. Your so I told this young lady who happened to be a teacher, I said, I think that's a fantastic marketing plan that they have. I said, I don't know if you know this, but I actually come to your school where you work and we donate glasses to kids at your school. I just don't use it as a marketing thing. We just do that because it's good. Mm. And this, you know, of course she was like, oh, and what are the chances of that? Right. But she was like, oh, oh geez. Right. Okay. Right. Fine. You know, um, but most of, most of the Warby Parker buyers, um, I say, that's great. We have an alternative option in our practice. We'd love to show you the alternative option. Um, we're going to use better lenses than what they're going to use. So I get that's cool. I get it to the Warby Parker on there. We'd love to just show you ours. Um, and the lens quality is going to be different. So I think the, the bottom line, we just don't shy away from it. And we, and we also, yeah. people kind of grow up and learn the difference. You know, we're not going to shun. They do. Yeah, they we're not totally going to shun do. them. I used to kind of joke that it was nice to have a practice near some of these, you know, free eye exam sort of businesses because the people, <laughs> The patients that we want grow up from those and, you know, show up at our door. Yeah. Yeah, look, I'm going to be respectful of your time, Ryan. I, but I do need to say this because I don't think I've said it to you personally before. I, and first of all, we could go on and on with these conversations, uh, as I hope we can in the future, as at an, at an upcoming meeting or just hanging out. But, um, but you know, I, uh, you know, you and I have known each other probably for seven to ten years, I would guess now, and um, and I knew you were the real deal. Um, about oh, it had to be four or five years ago. And, um, 
And there was a, it, we were at a meeting and there was a, um, a guy who was at the meeting that uh, had be, had become a consultant for um, for kind of an independent practice group who wound up, I believe, selling to a some sort of private equity firm before he became this consultant. And you were right there to hold um, this group's feet to the fire. And you did it in a respectful way. You did it in an honorable way. And, um, and so thanks for standing up for all of us and also kind of, you know, putting your money where your mouth is. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, and that, and that, uh, that said a lot to me. And, uh, and I think as I've watched over time, our friendship grow and, you know, I view you as a mentor and a colleague and a friend. And so, uh, I just want to say thanks for everything you do every day. Um, I think it makes it easier for all of us to, to practice the way well, we practice. Well, thank you. So thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. smart friends like you that I can listen to on these podcasts when I'm driving <laughs> from Kansas City to Maryville. Teach me. Teach me how to oh, do this. Thanks. Thing, so. thanks. No, I appreciate that. You're great. Love this. Love <laughs> this. Uh, this podcast has been fantastic, by the way. You got some good stuff going on there. And I know thank you. Uh, I know your practice is rocking and rolling. So, yeah. Thanks for letting me chat with, yeah, thanks for letting me chat with you for a little bit. Appreciate it.